Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I am Josh Spector and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, welcome. This podcast exists for a simple reason, to simplify audience and business growth for creative entrepreneurs. Here's how it works. Each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have about a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that is it. No fluff, lots of actionable tips and strategies that you and I can put to use. Today's episode is a little different because today we are going to do a flip the script episode, which basically means instead of someone coming on and asking me questions, I brought on a special guest whose expertise I want to learn from, and I am going to ask him the three questions. If you have any interest in podcasting, you are definitely going to want to take some notes during this one because you and I are both going to learn from a true podcast expert. A quick note before we jump into that, if you're listening to this show, it's probably because you want to grow your audience or business or you took a horrible wrong turn somewhere on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube. If you've heard me before, you know I'm all about ways to simplify growth. So one of the ways that I can help you do that is I share strategies I found most effective in my skill sessions which are a series of one-hour video presentations where I teach you how to do things like grow your newsletter, define your niche, get clients, and create a product in a day. You can check them out at joshspector.com sessions, where you can buy any of them individually or become a annual member and get access to all of them, plus the chance to join our monthly jam session calls where you can actually get personal help from me with your projects. So all that out of the way, let's get to today's guest. Today, my guest is Danny Miranda. Danny hosts the Danny Miranda podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. He's best known for leading deep researched interviews to help your favorite entrepreneurs and thinkers go off script. His podcast has been played over a million times, featuring guests like Gary Vaynerchuk, Alex Hormozzi, Andy Frazella, Robert Greene, and Seth Godin. And not only that, but that little three-sentence bio of his, which I asked him to send me, he was smart enough to crowdsource and went on Twitter and asked people how he should describe himself. And they did a pretty good job. So with that in mind, hey, Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, as well as the kind introduction. Thank you so much, Twitter. That was compiled from a bunch of different people. Thank you. They did good. Danny and I were just talking before we recorded, and I was saying how People really overlook the opportunity to use and leverage your audience to, to help you with anything you need to do, including writing bios. So there you have it. Danny, I am super excited to talk to you, not only because I am a big fan of your show, I have a lot of respect also for the way that you approach it. For anyone that hasn't listened to it, and I strongly recommend that you do, Danny is big on research and big on quality and really cares about the show. And I think it's something that is admirable, not just for podcasting, but for anyone. I see a lot of people that, you know, they're more interested in the results than they are the product. And that tends to lead them to not actually get those results, which clearly, you know, Danny's been at it for a little while and doing a great job. So let's jump into the, the first question that I have for you. It has to do with that research and, and your approach. You clearly pride yourself on it, on research and your interview skills. So it's a good place for us to start. What would you say are three things a podcast host can do to ask questions that will generate interesting or unexpected answers from guests? Because I've spent so much time thinking about research and how to have the best interview possible, I've spent an ungodly amount of time trying to figure this out. How do we get to the best conversation possible? Yeah. And one great way that you've done is you've sent questions in advance. I normally don't do that. And the reason I don't mm -hmm. do that is because I want the conversation 
to be fresh. I want it to be people to be shocked by the things that they hear. So it's most real in the moment. But I love what you did. And one thing that people can do is they can ask the guest before the interview starts, what would make this the best interview you've ever done? Or what would make you so happy you did this in six months? I feel like mm. if you don't know what's about to be said, if you don't know what direction you're going to go, those questions can help the guests feel comfortable, you feel comfortable because you know what target are we aiming at? The amount of times people will tell me, oh my God, like no one's ever asked me that. Yeah. And that's such a great question. Before we've even hit record, it's impactful enough that I feel like it helps make the guests feel comfortable. The second thing is if you want to ask interesting questions or get unexpected answers, why don't you keep a list of questions that could generate those answers or make those questions happen. So I have a, a list in my phone that I update whenever I find an interesting question mm -hmm. or something that people ask, but a few of them that people could think about or that mm -hmm. could help them is, if a researcher was observing you at 12 to 18, would they have noticed anything unusual? That's from Sean Puri. Another question from Tyler Cowan is like, what is a source of beauty or potential beauty that you would like to have more of or you're planning to have more of soon? From Patrick O'Shaughnessy, what's the kindest thing anyone's ever done for you? I have questions like that, that I'm just like, huh, I've never thought about the world that way. The purpose yeah. of the interview is to get people to think about their own lives differently or for them to learn something about themselves. If I know that to be the case, I have to create and curate this list of amazing questions that make me think differently first. And then the last thing is to share vulnerably first. I know that if I am willing to bear my soul, be like, this is when... I was bullied, or this is when something bad happened to me. Mm -hmm. I know someone else, when they hear the question, they're going to be like, oh, Danny said this. I want to match his vulnerability in sharing my truth as well. Those are great, great tips. And I have some follow-ups for a few of them. First, it's interesting since you mentioned that, that I send the questions in advance. If I were doing a different type of show, I wouldn't do that. I do it very specifically because a part of the format of my show is I want to keep it tight. I want to get right to the stuff. And that allows, to your point, it allows the guest to think about what they're going to say and sort of come right at it. And in my other episodes where people are asking me, it allows me to do that too, right? I can have people come on and I can on the fly come up with stuff, but chances are it's going to be better if I've actually thought about it a, a little bit in advance. And I think that's something that gets lost in general with podcasts is like always optimizing for what's going to be the best, most valuable end product for the audience. When people are asking me questions in particular, it's going to be better for the audience if I've actually thought about that answer than it is if I'm just sort of doing it on the fly. That said, you're doing a different kind of show. And I think if I were doing a different kind of show, I would also, and again, I'm a former journalist as well. I don't think I'd be sending the questions, but I love your thought about getting some sense of where people might want to go or what they might have to talk about. I'm curious on those lines, does anybody, and you can name names or not, what are, how did people answer that question? Like when you've asked them, what would, you know, six months from now, what would you, would make you feel great about this? I'm just curious what kind of things people have said to you. Some people say, I'd like to sell more of my thing. Some people mm -hmm. say, I really just want to get to know you. Some people are like, mm -hmm. I want to understand more about myself. But it always gives me a good sense for the frame of mind that the person is in. And, yeah. and on the point of, of what you're talking about, it's like Derek Sivers has this great thing where the third thing that someone says is actually the truth. So the first thing, someone asks you mm. a question. The first thing that pops to mind 
is going to be what just pops to mind first. The second thing mm-hmm. might be if you thought about it a little more. The third thing is the real answer. And when you mm-hmm. send those questions in advance, it allows me to create that list and to think about it. What's the real mm-hmm. answer to this? And I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Then I wanted to jump to when you, when you talked about the list of questions, which those are great examples that you gave. Are those questions, I'm guessing, coming from stuff those people have asked on other podcasts? Yeah, I've probably listened to thousands of hours of podcasts over the past mm-hmm. five years of my life. And so, yeah, it's just whenever I find something good mm-hmm. that a host says, I just tend to write it down and keep it in my phone. Mm-hmm. Or if I find it Smart. on Twitter as well. This is probably tricky to answer, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you anyway and see what you come up with. How do you know? So you've listened to thousands of hours of podcasts. You've listened to God knows how many questions. Now, instinctively, I'm sure you know something triggers like, oh, that's a good question. But I'm curious, how would you explain to someone else who's maybe, well, I'm not sure, like lots of questions are interesting to me, or maybe even worse, they judge the question based on the answer. So maybe the question wasn't great, but the person gave a really interesting answer and they go, oh, that's a great question or vice versa. The question's great, but the answer is boring. And they go, I guess that's not a good question. So I'm just curious beyond just sort of an instinctive reaction. How would you define, oh, that jumps out to me as a good question? Good questions for me are questions that help the guests think about the world differently or themselves differently. Mm -hmm. And so how are you is a terrible question that I even ask myself. And I'm like, that is an awful question. It doesn't tell me anything about what is the truth or it doesn't give me a new perspective. I think I'm getting better at this craft of asking questions. But for me currently in this sense is like, is this helping somebody learn something about themselves or the world around them? That's how I think Mm -hmm. about it. How do you think about good questions? I think about good questions. And it's funny, this is maybe a little bit of where my journalism background comes in. There's a couple different ways that I go about this, right? So sometimes when I'm coming up with a question, I know I'm looking for a specific outcome. So like when I have you on this show, I want, and I'm coming up with questions for you. This is going to get super meta. Like even the question that I just asked you, right? I know that I want something that's going to be actionable for my audience. So me asking you, how do you get, you know, how do you come up with good questions and how do you get people to say unexpected answers? Your answer to that is almost automatically going to be something that is actionable and useful is probably the best word. I'm always trying to come up with useful stuff for my audience. Whereas if I were to ask you a question about why did you want to become a podcaster, your answer might be very interesting, but it's not necessarily valuable. Mm -hmm. And I have this whole thing about interesting versus valuable. And valuable is something that is useful and that you can act on, that after you consume that bit of information, you can put it to use. You Mm. telling a story about why you became a podcaster might be fascinating, but there's nothing anyone can do with that information. Now, maybe if you talked about how you became a podcaster, maybe, but just your sort of personal story of this is why I'm drawn to this thing. So my pod, and again, nothing wrong with going the other way, but for my podcast and my audience and my purposes, I'm always aiming for useful and valuable. So when it comes to creating questions, that's an outcome that I'm trying to get. Is the answer to this question going to be useful? And then a step further, as opposed to just saying, okay, give me, you know, how do you come up with great questions? I go, what are the three things a host can do? Because I'm forcing you to, to your point, go a little deeper. 
I don't just want the first thing that comes to mind, the sort of surface answer, because I think that a lot of times with different things, that's where you get the, if you're asking someone who's a social media expert and you go, oh, what's the key to success on social media? They're like, oh, you need engaging content. Really? That's not super helpful. So that's, that is one piece of it. The other piece of it in terms of asking questions, and now I'm sort of setting aside, now I'm going back to sort of journalism mode. So the outcome piece when I was a journalist is there were times that the outcome was, I know that I might talk to somebody for 20 minutes in an interview, and I'm going to use one quote. And I have an idea. I don't know what that quote is, but I have an idea. I need this person to counter what, to be the other side of this argument, for example. So I got to make sure that I know that this person is going to be that, but I got to make sure that that's probably going to be the quote, unless they say some other thing that's like unexpected and whatever. So that's sort of very strategic of I'm trying to get something specific out of the question. The other way is the more open-ended. I don't know. I have no idea what I'm trying to get. I just want it to be sort of interesting or whatever. And I guess that's more sort of exploratory. And when I'm asking that kind of a question, I think it's really helpful to try to narrow down to some sort of specific thing. So for example, the difference between, let's say I'm talking to someone who's like an expert salesman and the difference between, you know, give me your best sales advice and tell me the story of the most difficult sale you ever had to make. That specificity tends to be more interesting. How do you make more money versus how did you make your first dollar? You know, also questions that are going to draw out stories as opposed to sort of generalities. I'm taking notes and I can't wait to rewatch it. <laughs> there, uh, there you go. You know, on that last point or the first yeah. point rather about getting to something useful that people can use, mm -hmm. I kind of unintentionally end the podcast with what's a challenge that you can leave people with for, to yeah. the guest. And the reason why I do that is because I want people to take some action from all the potentially theory that we talked about. Okay. And, and that's, exactly what you're talking about because if somebody yeah, actually does something that changes their life from that mm -hmm. moment like then they're going to think back to that podcast episode and all of that growth could be attributed in their head at least to yeah. that question absolutely cool so let's get to my second question for you and this one is i'm going to pack in i don't know three questions in one here or so so you've done almost 400 are you past 400 yet or just almost 400 recorded 400 but haven't okay. published them so at you, the time of this. You've recorded 400 episodes of your podcast, which by the way, is an amazing accomplishment. So congratulations for that. So let's talk about some of the lessons that you've learned along the way. And, and the way I want to frame this is, we'll go sort of one by one, but I'll rattle off the questions first. So what did Danny, who hosted episode 150 of the podcast, know about podcasting that Danny, who hosted episode one, didn't know? And then what did Danny, who hosted episode 300, know that Danny, who hosted episode 150, didn't know? And then finally, what do you hope Danny, who hosts episode 500 or 600, knows or will be better at than you are today? So let's start with the first one. When you were 150 episodes in, what had you learned compared to when you started? The correct amount of research to do. So two different examples was episode eight, Ed Lattimore comes on the podcast and he was, for me, the biggest guest, the biggest audience that I've ever had on. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to wing it because this is a podcast and we're just going to have a conversation. And I looked back at the end of the podcast and I'm like, that wasn't good. Like I knew just in my heart, like it, it intuitively mm. didn't feel right. Then I did episode 61, Ali Abdal. This was the first time that I'd interviewed someone with over a million subscribers on YouTube. 
And so I was like, I don't want to make that same mistake that I made with Ed. I got to go so deep and really understand and really know everything there is to know. So I did way too much research and it, it led me to not be in the moment at all. And I finished the interview in 40 minutes. And I'm like, what the hell? Like that, I just, how could I have done it like that? And so by 150, I had known, okay, I can do this amount of research and I can have this conversation and I can flow with it and I can keep it top of mind. And so I was good at that. And I felt good at that by 150. Then to episode 300, you have a- Well, hold on. Before, before you go to that, I just want to say and just point out what I think is fascinating about that is you're talking about episode eight, episode 60, episode 61. 150. The time, the reps, the growth. People think too often that, oh, I should have this figured out because I've done five issues of a newsletter or 10 issues of a newsletter or podcast episodes or whatever. It took you at eight, you realized something's not right. And it took you to 60, 61 before you realized you had sort of overcompensated the other way. And that, that's a lot. And I think it, it's true of most people I find who have been successful in whatever you want to call it, this sort of content creation space is it takes more time and it takes way more reps than people realize. My newsletter, you can go back, like you can go to fortheinterested.com slash newsletter one, and you can see that first issue. And it's a lot different. You can see the threads that are there. This stuff always evolves. And I just, when you saying those numbers, I just wanted to sort of re-highlight that for people to understand that it wasn't like Danny started out and two months later, he's, oh, I got this thing solved. So that gets us to 150. So now, what, what did Dan, what was compared Danny at 150 to Danny at 300? That's such a good point. I appreciate you pointing that out. 150 to 300 was working through two different things. One was in-person interviews. How do I do in-person interviews? As well as how do I stay focused? You've done 150 episodes of a podcast means now you have networks and potential openings to 150 different networks that you didn't know before. So now you have more opportunities. And so people are coming at me with job offers, which some I took. People were like, oh, this guy's really talented. He's interesting, all, all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. This is all great. Let me go down mm -hmm. these roads. And so I would go down the roads and I'd be like, all right, this isn't what I actually want. Like, why did I do that? And that's part of exploring and learning. And I would say, the advice that I wish I gave to myself when those networks were opening up and people were wanting me for different things was like, this is working. Just keep doing this. And so I went down the roads and I lost momentum. And when I lost the momentum, it took me some time to get the momentum back. So that was the biggest learning. And then also the learning was like, how do you do an in-person interview? That's going to be different than a virtual one. Episode 228 with Noah Kagan, that was my first time doing one in person. And intuitively, I was like, this feels different. This is something like I can go deeper with him. He's really understanding my questions at a deeper level. And I was like, this changes the game for me. And so now, okay, I was doing that one at his house. How do I afford doing in-person interviews? There was like so many mm -hmm. questions that I need to figure out from 150 to 300. I have a couple of questions here. So one is that has doing the in-person interviews changed at all the way you do the non-in-person interviews? Are there things that you picked up that you're able to apply? Because it is a completely different environment, I'm sure. Is there anything you sort of learn there Does it, that you try to do, whether you're recording virtually? There's nothing specific that comes to mind that's actionable. Mm -hmm. But I would just say the warmth like that I can, I'm able to show in person translates. Mm -hmm. I, I think about that. 
how do I give this person a hug virtually? How do I show this person love? The energy is different. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really what. And what about, let me also ask you, so around that sort of 150 range, are you, or have you at that point, a couple of questions. One, so I don't know like how roughly, like how big your audience or whatever was at that point. Are you feeling like it's growing? Are you feeling like it's sort of stop and start and kind of stagnant? And then my other question is doing 150 of anything, even if you like it is a lot and you're interviewing different people all the time. Did you ever start to sort of get bored, you know, get bored with yourself and sort of go, I don't know, I'm doing this again. And, you know, or because I think most creators have that moment at some, especially creators who are always like, look, people become creators because they like creating things. They like building from scratch. And I think there's a lot of, some of it's shiny object syndrome, but there's also a lot of, oh, I got a great idea. I'll go do this. I want to start this thing. Did you have that going on at that time? Uh, I don't really remember getting bored Mm -hmm. of podcasting at any point. No. So that's an interesting thing. But I felt like this was just like, it was amazing. Like my world was opening up. And because my Mm -hmm. world's opening up, I felt a a desire to take the opportunities that were given to me. And that looking back on it was a mistake. That completely makes sense. And I, you know, I've fallen into that trap in sort of some other ways. Again, as someone who likes to to start stuff, you wind up spreading yourself too thin. You wind up sort of getting burned out, you, you know, all of that. And I literally got to a point where I was like, and I found it really, it's a sort of tactic or whatever that I found really helpful for myself, which is if I'm going to start anything, something else has to stop. It creates a check on yourself, or at least it does for me, because now it's okay. I'm excited about this new thing but am I excited about it enough to stop this other thing? It makes you hit the pause button to sort of make a more analytical or logical decision. And it prevents you from sort of taking on too much because I've just removed that thing. I'm not just continually adding stuff. So let's talk about the last part, right? So now you're 400 in, who knows where you're headed. It's getting bigger and bigger. It's crazy. By the way, maybe this is a good point. I also have to say as a sort of side note, So when I was talking and reached out to Danny to see if he wanted to come on this podcast, I did not remember. I went to direct message him on Twitter and I was like, oh, I've already had a direct message conversation with Danny. It was then that I realized I had a couple of them and they were two or three years ago. And one of them was Danny inviting me on his podcast, which I had apparently completely ignored. And so obviously I feel bad about that, but separate from that, What's fascinating is it's a lesson, I think, to anybody listening, that person that's interested in you now, again, this was, I think, 2020. So I don't know what episode that would have been for you, but it was a long time ago, sub 50. And, you know, if I, if somebody would have said to me then, Hey, this guy's going to have a million downloads in a couple of years, maybe make sure you respond to that. Maybe it wouldn't have fallen through the cracks, but Anyway, so where you are now and where you're, where you hope to be or headed, you know, another hundred, 200,000 episodes from now. I mean, the thing is, it's like the one thing that sticks out to me is if you want to grow a podcast today, the best place is YouTube. And so mm-hmm. at this point, I got the consistency down. I've got amazing guests. I'm getting better as an interviewer. I think the one place that I haven't cracked is YouTube. And if I can crack YouTube, I think all the other places will work out. And so by episode 500, I hope to have cracked YouTube. Are you doing YouTube yourself or you have people helping you cut clips and do titles and thumbnails and all that stuff? So I have one guy that works with me, Video King Pablo, and has since Mm -hmm. 
around the episode 300 mark. And that's really helped grow the podcast as well, because he just has so much time. He loves the podcast. He came and this might be useful for people who are who are thinking Mm -hmm. about working with their favorite creators. He cut up a clip a day for 30 straight days. I then used some of those clips. They took off. And I was like, I'm now in the position where I'm owing. I owe this guy at least a chance to work for me in some capacity. Oh, he did that for free? He did it completely for free. I ended up paying him for it. But yes. Yeah. So it's like a lot of times people will approach you with, well, I will do this for you or I will do that for you. But what if you just did the work to begin with and took a chance on yourself. Oh, so he came, he came to you with them already cut up and everything and say, hey, I, just, I did all this stuff for you. Here you go. He would just send me and DM me one clip wow. every day for 30 That's straight cool. days. At some point, you're either going to pay attention or get a restraining order. So it's either going to go one way or the other. By the way, I can't believe you haven't gone with uh, change the name to Podcast King Danny. I love that it's vi- I love that it's Video King Pablo. Very subtle. So it's actually this is actually a good lead into my next question because the next thing I want to talk about is audience growth. Let's start with sort of what are the three tactics that have moved the needle the most for you in terms of audience growth? And then I'd also love to hear what are some other things that you know people recommend all the time about growing podcasts that maybe you've tried and haven't worked for you or you just haven't used at all. So I'll start with what hasn't worked. And what hasn't worked is TikTok and short form video that Mm. people speak so highly of. But I will give the caveat in that what short form video has done and the short form vertical clips, they have really blown up my Instagram account. And when my Instagram account really grew, that gave a lot of people the understanding or the recognition that like, oh, this is legitimate. And because they felt like it was legitimate and I could reach out to higher audience guests, they then mm-hmm. came on. So it wasn't necessarily that the vertical clips, quote unquote, didn't work. It's like they did work, but they worked in a way that I didn't expect. And so what happened- They were helping through- you book better guests as opposed, to, or get, as opposed to audience growth necessarily. Correct. Which then led right. to- And then the guests drove the audience growth. Gotcha. Correct. And that's why I started with what didn't move the needle because what has moved the needle mm-hmm. is getting- incredible guests who not only are interesting, but insightful, but also have big audiences on their own. I thought it would be helpful to share a couple of stories about how I actually booked two of the biggest guests that I've had on, because I think it could be useful for people about Mm -hmm. just like doing good and putting good out into the world with no expectation. So the first one was with Gary Vaynerchuk and he came on the podcast episode 39. And that was way before I quote unquote should have had him on or had the audience to have him on. But what happened was I had an old blog post that I wrote about him in 2008. I screenshotted it, put it out on Twitter. He followed me from that screenshot. I screenshotted that he followed me. In the comments, everyone goes crazy saying, you should go on this guy's podcast. He eventually goes on the podcast because one guy sends a message saying, Hey, I don't know if you're still here in this comments, Gary, but you definitely should go on this guy's podcast. The person who did that, I had sent a book to a week prior with no expectation, just because I thought it would be helpful for him at where mm-hmm. he was at. So that like piece of goodwill wow. probably led him to send that message and that reply, which then got Gary on the podcast. So that's one thing. Another mm-hmm. story is Andy Frisella, the creator of 75 Heart. Some people don't know him, but like his fitness program has been seen by millions of people. And has been done by millions of people. And he had a huge influence on my own journey. 
there was a guy who wanted to start a podcast, a former MLB baseball player. I sent him a message saying, hey, man, if you ever want to start a podcast, let me know. I'm happy to jump on a call. We spoke for 30 minutes. That guy went through his friend to his friend was Andy Frisella. And then I interview one of my heroes and somebody who really impacted me. And so mm-hmm. I didn't ask him for that. I had no expectation of it. It was just like I was hopping on the phone with something. So what has moved the needle on audience growth? Being a good person and helping people with no expectation. Funny how that works. Let me ask you a couple of questions about some of that. Well, first of all, I'm just curious in terms of guests sharing it. What percentage of your guests would you say, and, and now maybe it's now you're bigger. And so maybe it's, I'm guessing it's easier, but even in the earlier days, like what percentage of your guests would actually share their episode after no. it came out? Yeah. Any, any would most of them? No, definitely not. Okay. But it is higher when you get the guests to learn something about themselves or share something mm-hmm. that they don't normally talk about, then they're mm-hmm. much more likely to share it. And I, I never was like big on like telling guests that they had to, or even making it explicit to do it. Because I just felt like I was putting good out into the world and it will all come back to me. So would you, after an episode comes out, would you email them and go, hey, here's the link, here's the, what you know, because I know some people go so far as to give them like, here are clips and here's an image you can use and here's a whatever. What was your sort, what's your sort of post podcast, I don't know, emails or whatever look like? Yeah, I, at the time and, and even today, there's no like formal process. It's just, and you're really good at processes. And I'm, I'm curious to learn more about processes and like how to put those in place from you in general, just like from newsletters and all the stuff you do. But mm-hmm. I, there was no actual like process of this is what I do after an episode, which, right. you know, probably hurt me, but who knows if it did, you know, so I just, you're doing fine. Forward. It hasn't hurt you that much, but I will say that the biggest day of audio downloads I've ever done was mm-hmm. when one guest came on the podcast, had a huge Instagram audience. And he says, what did he say? He said, Danny Miranda is the next great interviewer, podcaster, whatever. You should go check out our episode that we did together. And he doesn't go on a lot of podcasts. And that definitely Mm. made a huge difference to the audio downloads. I know, I feel like recently, maybe you're doing more, but have you, in terms of you going on other people's podcasts, is that something that you've always done regularly? Or how do you think about that? So everyone says that's the biggest way to grow podcasts. And I haven't done Mm -hmm. that and don't plan to do that until my course is completely done and finished. And you are an exception for that because I just have affinity for the stuff you put out. But thank you. maybe by the time that we release this episode, when do you know if it'll be released? Do you have any idea? Probably be about a month or so from now. Yeah. So my course will be. What is the course? I didn't even, I didn't even know you were a building course. Yeah. So I'm doing a course on the art of interviewing and you can find that at artofinterviewing.com. And so the course is out at this point and I will be going on more podcasts because I know that is the way to grow podcasts Mm -hmm. is to go on other podcasts. I know you mentioned Instagram and I see you on Twitter and stuff. Are you two questions? So one are sort of, are you managing all your own social yourself? I know you have the video King is cutting clips for you, but are you doing all the posting and all the, all that kind of stuff? And then the other question is, have you done any paid promotion of anything or is it all organic? All organic. I have not done any paid stuff mm-hmm. and I'm doing, I'm posting everything myself. Video King will chop it up, but I'll be the one posting mm-hmm. it. I'm trying to remember, but I don't, you don't have any ads or sponsors in your show, do you? I don't. Cause I don't remember ever hearing them. So talk to me about that, a little bit about that decision. Cause I'm I sure you've had it, opportunities. Yes. To me, it didn't feel right to 
put any ad or any placement of something that I wouldn't recommend to a friend, right? Like that to me mm -hmm. was very important. And I figured like, all right, if a brand is willing to pay me this, why not just create something that I'm proud of myself and that I can gain the full revenue of what they would make? Because to me, that just seemed like an obvious, like they're making something off me. That's why they're paying me this thing because they wouldn't want to pay me. So I did that whole thing in my head and I was like, it's a lot of work to deal with brands and sponsors and all yeah. that. And I'm like, I don't want to do this at this point. So I, if that's the case, I've been doing consulting for the past three mm -hmm. months, four months with different people who want to start podcasts, but that's, I can only spend so many hours listening to podcasts. Yeah. Why not create one resource that everyone can check out? Any other audience growth tips that we didn't get to? So obviously, you know, it's, it seems, first of all, create a great show always helps. Uh, second of all, promotion and big guests, the ability to drive more to it. Short clips, not necessarily directly driving growth, but helping you attract guests who then drive growth. Social media, which you're obviously investing time in. So on some level, I assume it seems worth it. Anything else that, that we're missing that you, is helping you grow your audience? Yeah, I would just say doing a good thing for someone every day, like oh, yeah. unexpectedly. Like I, I really mm -hmm. genuinely believe that is important. I'm going to add it to my to-do list from this episode is what random good thing did you do today for someone on the internet? Yeah. yeah, no, I think that is, I think that is so smart. Again, not just for podcasts, but for anything. The bar is really low. So like with my newsletter, people subscribe and they get a welcome email that says, tell me about something you're trying to figure out and I'll give you some suggestions. And people are shocked when I reply. And I'm always amazed. Like I told you I would. And I get some people that reply and they go, I'm not really looking for help. I'm just replying because I want to see if anyone would actually, I can't believe anyone would actually reply. And it, you know, it's fascinating. The same thing on Twitter. I'll do these, I call them like free coaching time. So I did one the other day that was basically like, you know, you want me to take a look at your bio and give you some suggestions to approve it? First of all, it's great social content because everyone, as you can imagine, everyone's, yeah, look at my bio, look at my bio, look at my bio. And I don't necessarily get to every single one, but I get to most of them. And people are just blown away that you'll take two seconds to look at their thing and give them a tip or give them a whatever, which is always fat. And I think you and I are probably wired the same where it's, I don't think of that as being like over, that's not a hard effort. My whole point in doing this is to help people do stuff. So like, why? Yeah, I don't, you know, but I'm amazed the degree to which it stands out, which makes me realize, oh yeah, most people aren't doing that. It does make a big difference. Well, just on that point, it, it's actually, the thing is, it's difficult because there are a million things vying for your attention and you cannot mm -hmm. actually help everyone. And thus it means more when you do. And so, yeah, you know, like I think that people realize that and they know your time is valuable because you have an audience, because there's a million things you could do. Right. And that actually increases the significance of when you actually do. It means something more. And I think it's funny because what you just said is probably at least partially, if not mostly, an answer to the next question I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, one of the things that I notice about you, there are certain creators, Arvid calls another good example of this, where your audience clearly really loves not just your podcast, but like they are rooting for you. There's a very strong connection there. And I think there's a lot of good shows, good creations, good stuff that doesn't necessarily have the same kind of thing where it's, they like it, they appreciate it, but I don't know that I, it feels like 
your audience really wants you to be bigger, to be successful. There's a difference between, I guess, appreciation and sort of rooting for somebody. Appreciation and cheerleading, maybe, is sort of yeah. what I'm saying here, right? Or becoming an evangelist is probably a better way to put it. And, and I'm curious why you think that is, especially if in comparison to, let's say, some other show, the show's really good, the creator's decent person, good, helpful, whatever, you know, not the bad, but what is it? And you can talk about yourself or just other people in general. What do you think it is that causes that sort of next level of sort of fandom or audience support? I think what you were talking about, the appreciation versus the cheerleading, I think a lot of people had a lot of appreciation for me in the mm -hmm. beginning of the journey in the first hundred episodes. Maybe it turns into cheerleading when Gary Vaynerchuk comes on. Maybe it turns into cheerleading when there is a big vision. I've said before, I want to sell out Madison Square Garden for a live mm -hmm. podcast, 19,763 people, right? So if people are attached to that vision and then they see, oh, wow, this guy is peeing during an interview. Like what? Like he must be really dedicated to his craft, right? That's right. a vulnerable thing to share that could rub people the wrong way. Then there's, look at how much research he's doing. You could see how if someone cares about something a lot and it's not just for their own good, People want to root for that person. And so my whole thesis with the podcast in general is everything is commoditized, but being someone's best friend. If you can be someone's best friend, you will be able to do anything you want in this world. If you can be a lot of people's best friends at scale. And so that's what I'm attempting to do with the podcast. And it's 11 episodes a month for now 36 months. You do 11 episodes a month for 36 months, like good things are going to happen. And you're then taking advantage of the other people's networks who are like, oh, this guy's interesting. This guy's insightful, whatever it is. So yeah, that's why I think the cheerleading has happened is because of all of the work, all of the time that I've spent with the craft. I love a bunch of stuff that you said there. And I just want to sort of highlight a couple of the things. So one is I think people are attracted to people that are passionate about what they do and care what they do your dedication. And I think the visibility of that dedication, I think you're absolutely right. The audience is never going to care more about your stuff than you do. Right. The higher the bar of your caring, the more room there is for, for the audience to catch up with it. And so I think when people see how passionate and how dedicated you are to doing this, that is definitely a piece of it. And it makes people, and by the way, it's like anything, right? Like any story, an athlete or whatever, people are more drawn to the athlete that busted their ass than the athlete who just happens to have natural ability and phones it in. So even if that one's a better player, those two things are a huge piece of why people root for you and anyone else that does sort of similar. The other thing I think that's really interesting, and I don't, I'm going to guess this was not sort of intentional or strategic, but looking back on it, it actually seems sort of brilliant to me. You have very openly from the very beginning talked about and played up how much research you do. And I think a lot of people wouldn't do that, even if they did the research, because they'd want to seem like, I just have this knack for coming up with amazing. They don't want to reveal the trick. They go, that guy asks amazing questions. I don't know how he does it. Versus yeah. you who are like, it's not a trick. This is how I do it. I do all this research. And doing that actually in the context of this conversation reveals your dedication to them. It shows yeah. I'm not the guy that just is sort of naturally able to wing it and whatever, which again, none of this I think is intentional, but you can see like whenever you come up, I think like people, and even when people are responding, giving you suggestions for your bio, it's like, they're all like, does so much research that well, where does that come from? 
that comes from you revealing it. And again, I think that you view that as a strength and it's a strength of yours and a strength of the show. But I don't know that it's such an obvious thing for lots of other people to sort of reveal that they do. They don't necessarily want to show how it's done. I appreciate you saying that. The reason why I do that is because Tim Ferriss does it. And he always mm. remarked when he does research, when I was doing research for this, I mm -hmm. found this. And to me, as the listener, I felt such a warmth for Tim, the guest, and just that experience because I was like, oh, I'm in good hands here. Tim cares about this mm -hmm. person enough to make it a good interview so that they can get the best out of them. And he's helping light a smile up on their face, which lights a smile up on my face. And he tells them in that moment from doing research. So I was like, okay, let me just do what Tim Ferriss did because that seemed to have worked out pretty well for him. And it's the, and it's the transparency, right? And I think this is another piece like that I'm, that I'm just thinking about again, that's sort of universal is the combination of transparency and dedication is really attractive to an audience because they feel like they know you, they feel like they can trust you and they feel like you're invested in working hard to make this thing and that you care about it. It's very hard not to sort of care about and root for, and then, and the product being good. So dedication, transparency, and a really good creation is likely to attract an audience that's really attached to it. Well, and why does the transparency, it's like the product's good because of the transparency and dedication. I find that to be yeah. interesting. It's like, right, these things are all related. Go back to episode one or go yeah. back to episode 61. You'll see like the dedication was there. The transparency was there, but the work wasn't good enough. Like genuinely, right. it wasn't an enjoyable listening experience. It was for some people, but it wasn't for a lot. Mm. And I, I think there's yeah. something to it. It just became better because I did it a lot. And I asked myself, how could I make this better over and over again? Really good. Danny, thank you so much. This was awesome. I really found this useful. And a fun conversation. Let people know in case they haven't seen or listened to your podcast, where should they go? Where can they connect with you? Where should they check out all your stuff? You go to the Danny Miranda podcast to check out the podcast. And Josh, what's your favorite number? My favorite number, 11. Okay, so you can go to artofinterviewing.com and you can get 11% off for the next 90 days after this is published for the course. So thank you nice. so much, Josh. For, uh, awesome. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I look forward to everyone's hate mail saying, why wasn't my favorite number like 70 or whatever? <laughs> anyway, as far as my stuff, again, my newsletter for the interested.com slash subscribe, my skill sessions, joshspector.com slash sessions. I'm on Twitter all the time at jspector. And if you would like to be a guest on this podcast and come ask me three questions, really your chance to both get basically free consulting and exposure to my audience. So pretty sweet deal. I go to joshspector.com slash questions and submit your questions. That is it. Danny, you're awesome. I'm going to log off and go listen to some more of your episodes. Thanks everyone for listening. I will see you next week.